All-Star Weekend is over, and now it's time for the Hawks to get back to work. You don't want to lose everything that you have uh, on this break. Sit around and not do anything. You need to do something. Welcome to the Hawks Report, a podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that gives you the stories behind the score. I'm Lauren Williams, the Hawks beat reporter here at the AJC, and... As always, I'm joined by my trusty handy dandy producer, Daniel Salerson, and we're going to talk about how the Hawks had only one representative at All-Star Weekend this year, but it was a great time for some of that Hawks core to get their legs back under them. Uh, You know, before the break, Trey Young talked a little bit about how the team had been feeling some of that fatigue from playing about, what, 60 games so far this season and so now they're ready to get back to work and get after it and hopefully make a push down the stretch to get into the playoffs then we'll also hear from you know the rookie aj griffin who as i mentioned was that lone hawk at all-star weekend you know we'll get a chance to hear from him about his experience in the rising stars challenge and kind of what the season has brought his way Um, But mostly we'll hear about his experience at All-Star Weekend. But before we get too far into that, if you're listening to us for the first time, please make sure to to follow along on Apple or Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcast. And this is the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. So, of course, we've all, you know, seen what the Hawks have been like leading into the All-Star break, and they welcomed this much-needed break their way, and now they're ready to get back to work. So we're going to take a few questions, though, before we get too far into talking about what we should expect from the Hawks in the, these final 23 games, only nine of them on the road. And Daniel, we don't get to use this sound very frequently. No, you know Let's what time it. it is. It's time. Time for the mailbag. Finally. Mailbag. Thanks to everyone that participated in the mailbag. You can follow Lauren on Twitter at Williams, Lauren L., or myself at D. Salerson. A couple of questions for you during this All-Star break. We'll start with Forrest at J.F. Willoughby. What has Nate McMillan done differently lately compared to the start of the season? Is he back next year? And if not, is there a sense of what sort of coach the Hawks will look for? 
So I think I can answer that second one a little bit. Um, yeah. So when we talked to Landry Fields and, and Kyle Korver, you know, shortly after all of the stuff happened with Travis Schlank and, and kind of learning what their vision of the Hawks front office and the the team was going to be for the future. You know, they, they both said that Nate McMillan is the coach right now. And I think that right now is very telling just because if they were committed to Nate through the rest of his contract, I believe he has one more year on that, that right now wouldn't come up. And so um, maybe I'm reading a little too much between the lines here, but you have to believe that they're going to be looking for a coach that is probably a bit more, how do I put this, uh, new school? <laughs> you know, Nate is one of the first people, Nate McMillan is one of the first people to tell you that he's a very old school minded coach and and that, you know, sometimes he has to take a second to to relate to his players on, you know, a cultural level and and figuring out uh, how best to reach them. So I will say before Justin Holiday was traded, this was way back at the beginning of the season. He gave Nate McMillan quite a bit of credit for adapting to kind of the modern approach to the NBA. And of course, nobody's going to change overnight. But um, the fact that you had a guy who had experience with Nate McMillan back in Indiana knows how rigid he can be and and seeing him adapt a little bit. And one, we've seen him bump A.J. Griffin into the regular rotation as opposed to sticking with a guy he has had experience with. So to answer your question, that's one thing we've seen him adjust or or do differently compared to the start of the season. And then two, recently it seems as though he's a lot more willing to try and find the right defensive uh, rotations for for in-game. And so I think, obviously, we would love to see a few more adjustments a little bit quicker. Personally, I would like to see him kind of use some of those timeouts a lot quicker, especially when opposing teams get on those runs. You know, if they hit two or three shots in a row, it, it feels like that should be when the timeouts come, especially when you're watching some of those other coaches and and how quickly they they take those timeouts. Um, you know, watching Steve Clifford in that Charlotte Hornets game, the Hawks were down double digits, but as soon as they rattled off eight, nine points, that timeout came so quickly. So obviously I'm I'm not the coach. Nate McMillan has 700 plus wins, 750 plus wins under his belt. You don't get that by being a scrub <laughs> as a coach. So, I mean, Daniel, as far as what you've watched this season and and seeing the adjustments Nate has made so far versus how he kind of ran his game plan at the beginning of the season, what have you seen? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I've seen, and I think it's a little worrisome, is the fact that there's still really no identity on either side of the ball. So that's really not going back to adjustments being made in game. But when you talk about a Hawks team coming into each game, if someone asked me, Hey, what, what can we expect from the Hawks tonight? As far as what kind of game they play, I really wouldn't know what to answer. Like they're not a team that 
oh, they're a high-flying team that runs with a lot of pace. They really like to get up and down the floor as soon as they take the ball out of the rim, off the rim or through the net. They're not really like a running a half-court offense where you can tell they're running through Trey or DeJounte or pick and rolls through Clint Capella. So it, for me, I think that's the biggest thing with Nate is just we just haven't found the identity for what this team is. So like on any given night, when you're matching up against teams, you if you're the other team, they really don't have anything to say about the Hawks. Like, oh, they're this kind of team or they're this kind of team. And same defensively, you've seen the last two games. And some of this is on the players, too. This is not all Nate. Because defense is effort. And you have not seen any effort from this Hawks team in the last two games defensively, allowing 144 points to Charlotte and then 122 to New York. And they were just, they talked about the physicality. Well, that's part of the Knicks' identity is physicality. And they're not a team that likes to run. That's part of their identity. But they had 30 fast break points the other night because they were able to take advantage of the Hawks not putting any pressure on them defensively. So they just got up and run. So that, I think, is a big problem with Nate, but it's also a big problem with the players. Is There's no identity on either side of the ball. So I think that would be the biggest thing I've seen, and I don't think we've seen much adjustment from Game 1 to Game 59. True. I would agree with that. I think, if anything, the Hawks' identity is more of a bit of a negative one, it's that you know that they're not a team that's going to get back in transition quickly. Right. So, or they're a team that likes to give up a lot of second chance points. Yeah. Well, here's the thing that's a, that kind of make brings me to our, our final question here. This is from Bob mm-hmm. that sends you an email. You can email Lauren too as well, lauren.williams at ajc.com. Bob is, is always a big fan of Lauren's work. Mm-hmm. And he talks about and asks you, is Nate a strong floor game day coach? Not compared mm-hmm. to many others, seems assistants run the timeouts. So kind of to your point, how does does that answer or does that question change any of your answers from the previous one? Or do you want to elaborate yeah. on on this question? Yeah, it's you know, I, I think that in watching a lot of those ga- in a lot of the games, we do see Nate consult his assistants, his bench a lot before drawing up plays or anything out of timeouts. Now, I mean, one of the big things earlier in the season when they were in overtime in that Chicago game. And, you know, it was the the choice between Jalen or Trey for that inbound pass. You know, they ended up going with Trey first and uh, then they went with Jalen. And apparently Joe Prunty it was the brains behind that play. Now, Prunty won't take all the credit for that. He'll say it's a team effort, but I believe someone on Twitter had a clip of that play about a decade ago before when, you know, Prunty was on another team. So I think that Nate very much values the input that his, his bench has, but he'll be the first to tell you he's running the show. So if that answers your question, (laughs) Bob, it does appear that there's a lot of collaboration on the bench, but I think it's Nate's final decision. And, and I think there's, I mean, that's why you have assistant coaches. So we can't mm-hmm. just pretend like Nate's the only one that uses his assistant coaches for collaboration. That's what they're exactly. there for. You have exactly some, you know, some of the younger coaches have former NBA head coaches there to kind of help with, with decisions, timeouts mm-hmm. when they alert them, Hey, you might want to consider putting this person in or Hey, he's getting, I mean, mm-hmm. so that part is not really a knock on Nate because that's the whole point of having assistant coaches there. And Prunty mm-hmm. is a former head coach. At least he was an interim in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. 
after Jason Kidd. And so he does have that experience and I'm sure it does have a lot of experience with out of bounds plays and things like that. So I don't mm-hmm. want to don't want to sit here and knock Nate for utilizing assistant coaches. Um, it's no. just a question of whether how much he looks to them more than maybe some others do. And that's just a, a personal preference by Nate and how he approaches each game. I honestly think he doesn't look to them that much. I don't really pay attention anything, to know. The, like, yeah. If anything, it seems like it's, a, again, it's just a very collaborative environment. It's not a, you know, he's leaning on X assistant more than this assistant, or he only leans on his assistant and not on his own instincts. I believe, you know, he, again, he does, he didn't get to 750 plus wins. I, I know I keep throwing that number out there, but that's a lot of wins. And so, you don't get there by not valuing the opinion of the people around you, but you also have to trust your own judgment. And I do think he trusts his judgment. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. So I appreciate the questions. I know they were focused on Nate McMillan, but mm-hmm. you kind of understand when your team is 29 and 30 in a team that was maybe had some expectations to be at least a top six team heading into the all-star break, you kind of start, First, if you're going to do some finger pointing, you start at the coach and then you work your way down to the players. But uh, if anyone wants to ask Lauren more questions, again, at Williams Lauren L on Twitter or Lauren.Williams at AJC.com. So that will conclude our mailbag for this week, Lauren. Yeah. So like Daniel said, the mailbag was was focused a little bit on Coach McMillan, but you know, he's one step away from having to step onto the floor and play the game himself. I mean, Daniel mentioned it really, really perfectly that on defense, I mean, most of it is effort. And in those two games uh, leading into the break, that was Charlotte. And then um, the matchup against the Knicks on Wednesday, it just seemed like they came out with a pretty lackadaisical effort, you know, giving up 70 plus points to Charlotte in the first half alone before it seemed like they started to kind of find their, well, actually in the second quarter, they seemed to find their footing um, because they ended up outscoring the Hornets. Um, But by then you dug yourself into a hole and it's, it's really difficult to get out of. But again, giving up 70 plus points to one team in the first half is just absolutely bonkers. And then, you know, against the Knicks, I mean, the Knicks led wire to wire. I mean, the Hawks came out in that second half, um, outscored the Knicks 32 to 25 in the third quarter. But again, you're in a hole and it's it's hard to dig yourself out of when you're in that deep of a hole, a 20 plus point hole. And so, again, you have to wonder how much this team has tried to formulate an identity of what they're going to be because it still seems like you never know what you're going to get on any given night. And for a team that's trying to make the push into the sixth seed or higher, you have to have something that defines your team. And unfortunately, as we mentioned in the the mailbag, it seems like this team's identity is either coming out slow and then trying to fight back or, you know, they're not as defensively consistent as you need a team that's going to be a postseason team to be. So, Daniel, when you're looking at these next 23 games, the Hawks have, I believe it's the third 
strongest strength of schedule or the third most difficult yeah. schedule coming up. Um, they've got two games against the Celtics, the NBA, not even just the Eastern Conference, but the NBA leading Celtics. Two games against the Heat, who who is uh, three games ahead of them in the standings, but they're seventh now because after that loss to New York on Wednesday, the Knicks jumped into the sixth seed, and now they're a half a game ahead of the Heat, which means that the Hawks are now 2.5 games back. So when you think about that, they have a lot of difficult opponents coming up. What is it going to take for them to be able to make this push? Well, we talked about effort. It's Mm -hmm. what they want to do, and it's going to be up to them Mm -hmm. whether they want to make a push or not. Because here's kind of how I look at it and how I look at how the All-Star break ended or how it began, Mm -hmm. I should say, in the last two games. When Trey Young saying, yeah, that you could just tell this team needs a break. Um, I get it. At at, at this point, every team is at that point where they're like, all right, yeah, we're ready to get to our vacations and all that. But when you're riding a two-game winning streak into Monday against Charlotte, a team that had 15 wins going into it, Mm -hmm. I know you're tired and ready to go, but how different this team looks if you're going into the All-Star break on a four-game winning streak with wins against Charlotte and then New York, who you're going to need, compared to a two-game losing streak, allowing 144 points. You score 138 points in a game and lose. And mm-hmm. then just come out completely flat against a team you desperately needed because that controlled the tiebreaker, as you mentioned just now. Mm-hmm. It shows to me that obviously they didn't care as much about whether they won or lost. It was let's get this game over with. We're mm-hmm. all ready to go on vacation. And so now you and, and Trey's like, you know, we're going to reset. We'll be back. But you're running out of time. This is not 41 games into the season. It's not the halfway mark. You're two thirds of the way in. You have 23 games left. You're three and a half back in New York, three in the loss column, and you mm-hmm. lost a tiebreaker. So you're basically four back with 23 to go. That is not easy to catch up even a handful of games No, when you don't play them anymore. Then you look at Miami, you talk about. You're three mm-hmm. games back of them. You face them twice on the road. That road trip where it's two in Miami and two in D.C. could end their season if you are not yeah. careful. The Wizards are behind you. Mm-hmm. You're only a game ahead of them. You're a game ahead of Toronto for 10th. You do have a little bit of a cushion in Chicago as far as getting out of the playing completely. But if you go on another little losing streak, then you could have eliminated yourself before you even had a chance to to get back in it. So I don't think they realize that they are running out of time. And so for this team, in order to get even remotely sniffing the sixth seed, Mm -hmm. they got to start stringing along some wins or they have to come out of this all-star break like, all right, let's do this. They have Cleveland to start off, which is not an easy team. Brooklyn has showed that they are still pretty good without Kevin Durant mm-hmm. and Kyrie Irving because of the the players that they got, especially Mikel Bridges, who's playing out of mm-hmm. his mind. And then a crucial game on Tuesday against Washington. To me, like the wake-up call or, hey, we'll, we'll do this. It's kind of like, oh, we'll shove this aside. We'll take a couple losses, but hey, when we'll be back, we'll, we'll play great. Well, you haven't shown it through 59 games. You've had one five-game yeah. winning streak. What makes us believe that you can do it again. So I don't want to be all pessimistic about this team, but it, mm-hmm. for for me, and I, I think fans would agree, it's you got to prove us wrong and you got to show right. on the court that you all are are buying into this and are ready to make a push to try to get to that 60. Because if not, I don't see 
based on their winning and losing and winning and losing, that they're mm-hmm. going to be able to gain those even three games just to get avoid the play-in. I think they're going to be in the play-in by the end of the year. I think one thing that has concerned me a little bit about this team so far this season is it seems as though they've either played up to opponents, minus obviously <laughs> Wednesday's loss to the Knicks, but they've either played up to opponents or played down to opponents. I mean, you look at some of their losses to Charlotte, Houston, the Magic, it just, it makes you wonder, like, why haven't they beaten the teams that on paper they're supposed to beat, even though, you know, they're, this team is the first to tell you, you it's the NBA, you can't, you know, blah, 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 blah. But if you're not taking the opponents you should be beating seriously, then what are you doing? Because if you look at teams like Boston, they beat the teams that they're supposed to beat. Memphis, they beat the teams they're supposed to beat. The Nuggets, for the most part, they beat the teams that they're supposed to beat. If you're a championship team, you should be coming in with a cutthroat attitude no matter who it is you're playing. You shouldn't, while you shouldn't believe that this game is in the bag, you should still be, I don't know, have that killer instinct. And it doesn't seem like there are enough people on this team that kind of have that. And I think one of the things that might help them is that Sadiq is a very, Sadiq Bey is a very intense person. And so when he's on the court, he, sometimes you can see it in timeouts and I, I encourage everyone to watch, but just look at his face. He, he just like is hungry to win. And, you know, you hope that maybe even in the off season that they get a couple more guys who, who have that kind of killer instinct. And it's not to say that, you know, you can't, you know, be loose and and play around or, or anything like that. But if you're in a game where you're down 20, it, it's kind of hard to, uh, I don't know. I, I never want to criticize how anyone approaches, how approaches a game, but it just, sometimes you wonder. Here's what I don't understand. And before we go to break, I think this, mm-hmm. this kind of number this is from uh, matt moore from action network at Mm -hmm. hp basketball Atlanta's intended starting lineup trey dj hunter collins capella have played 30 games this season they are 19 Mm -hmm. and 11 in those games at a 52 win pace which is kind Mm -hmm. of what we all expected at the beginning of the year with this roster how it was constructed obviously Mm -hmm. they are not on pace now to win 52 games they'd actually have to win all 23 of their games to get to 52 yeah Right now, they'd have to go 23-0 in the second half, which is definitely not going to happen. And here's what's crazy. You talk about the bench. Mm-hmm. Coming off the bench, you have AJ, you have mm-hmm. Sadiq, you have Bogey, mm-hmm. and you have mm-hmm. Onyeka. Mm-hmm. Like, your top Jaylen, nine Jaylen and Jalen, like, your top nine and ten is not ten. terrible. No. Compared to other teams, you seem like you have a pretty deep bench. And, and I now you have all- three-point shooting with Sadiq, too. Yeah. With yep. Bogey, and if AJ can mm-hmm. get back going, which we'll talk about later on, mm-hmm. um, like, what am I missing here? And it doesn't seem like that number, 1911, it doesn't seem like they've played that well together yeah. in those 30 games. Like, I, w- I was blown away when I saw this. I sent it to myself because I was like, I just did not see them being that successful as a starting five together. It just seems like it's been so choppy. But it shows the potential of this team if everyone can get on the same page. I just don't see mm-hmm. that everyone's on the same page. I think that's the biggest issue. And I mean, earlier in the season, you could also point to the fact that they never really had 
a chance to solidify that chemistry that is needed for a starting five to be as successful as, you know, they should be. They've had a lot of injuries. You've seen Clint Capella out. You've seen Trey Young out here and there. You've seen DeJounte Murray come in and out. Uh, well, just out for not in and out a lot, but just like that one time where he had that ankle injury, he was out for a week. And, um, you know, shockingly, he came back, even though the Hawks had projected him to be out for two weeks. So, oh, also John Collins being out um, and DeAndre Hunter being out. And the Hawks are on the rockier side when DeAndre Hunter is out, which to me, I know a lot of people kind of look at that $90 million con- ex- contract extension that he signed. And they're like, is he is he worth that $90 million? Well, if you look at the fact that their perimeter defense kind of collapses when he's not on the floor, I think that answers your question. And then with John, now they're, they could be missing him out of the break because he went into concussion protocol over the weekend um, following that elbow to the face from Julius Randle on a drive. So it just... This team can't find any consistency because one, injuries put them in and out. Two, you've got, <laughs> I can't remember what day it was, but Clint Capella mentioning something about the guards being bored. That is problematic. You just, this team, man, it just makes you shake your head. Yeah, it does. And just real quickly, you mentioned John Collins. Like when watching that game against the Knicks, Mm-hmm. I mean, he got worked pretty bad by Julius. And I know, you know, elbow to the face should have been called. But mm-hmm. again, the physicality. But he showed at least that he seemed like the only one interested that, in playing interested defense. in playing that game. <laughs> like he put in maximum effort in that yeah. game. And it just didn't look like anyone else. And so I yeah. think, again, that's what's so frustrating about. Again, if you're a team that is like the Celtics, you can afford to have one of those games where if you're just all right, get us to the all-star break. We're ready to go. Mm-hmm. But when those two games are so important to go in on a, like our conversation is totally different right now. If they're going in on a four game winning mm-hmm. streak, Oh, Absolutely. are they turning the corner? Did they finally figure things out offensively yeah. in Charlotte? You're like, great 138 points. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. But you lose. And then you put up 101 points and it looked like they couldn't figure out how to play basketball against New York. And mm-hmm. New York's a team again, based on their identity, should not have had 30 fast break points against you. So I think that's the big thing. And I think it, that goes to everyone involved, coaching mm-hmm. staff, but players, as much as people want to go right to Nate McMillan, it, I think it comes down to the players and the people effort the and court. willing to want to mm-hmm. put in the work and do this. And if it just doesn't seem like they're, they have to, again, prove to us and everyone and themselves mm-hmm. that this is, if it was a fluke or not, which is, I don't think it was, that they just have to prove to themselves that they are capable of doing it, which I think they can talent-wise, mm-hmm. but it just hasn't happened since the beginning of the season. Results-wise, absolutely. Well, we've been venting about this Hawks <laughs> roster for about, you know, however many minutes. So we're going to take a quick break. So this is the Hawks report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Welcome back to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I just wanted to take this time to thank everyone who subscribes to the AJC and AJC.com. You guys are what make all of this possible. If you haven't joined our community yet, that's okay. We have a special deal available for you guys right now. Uh, You can get unlimited digital access to everything the AJC has to offer for the next six months for just 99 cents. That's all of our stories, our terrific e-paper, and all of our newsletters, including Bradley's Buzz from the legendary columnist Mark Bradley. That's just 99 cents for the next six months. So to take advantage of this offer, you can go to subscribe.ajc.com podcast. That's subscribe.ajc.com podcast. So you always know what's really going on. So we are, of course, going to talk about A.J. Griffin and his first experience as a player at the NBA All-Star Weekend. Now, A.J., of course, was uh, selected to be in the Rising Stars Challenge along with 27 other players uh, who are in their first or second year in the NBA. Some of those players were, of course, G-leaguers. But uh, fun fact, Daniel, did you know that AJ's father participated in the Rising Stars Challenge in 2000? I actually did not know that. So AJ wasn't even a flurry (laughs) in his father's mind because AJ, of course, was born in 2003. Again, he's so young. (laughs) Can I admit that I didn't think the Rising Stars game was even invented in 2000 i didn't even know it went that way that far back i it's it's gone it's gone pretty far back i mean tony kukoc actually participated in it back in the 90s like the early 90s so well, it's been around for some time <laughs> so it's been around for some time but billy hartman shout out billy hartman who is on the hawks pr staff we wanted to look up to see if they were the first father-son duo to have participated in that. And they are not, though. Um, there have been at least, you know, a couple of uh, father-son duos who have participated in it. So still still a fun fact that he and his father can kind of continue to share these experiences that or parallels or anything like that, you know, throughout their NBA careers. Now, AJ ended up uh, hitting 1-3. Uh, he had a rebound as well as one steal. Uh, so it sounds like a pretty solid outing when you're up uh, up playing with some of the NBA's best young stars. Now, you know, AJ ranks in the top 10 for several categories. I'm not going to rattle them off. You guys can look those up on your own if you are so inclined. But I think it was a pretty a solid matchup for Team Powell. Uh, it seems like Team Darren 
wasn't playing a ton of team basketball compared to Team Powell, which I think ended up hurting them in the behind a little bit, uh, just because in the game of basketball, you can't rely on one guy. But um, it seemed like A.J. Griffin had a really solid or fun first experience at the All-Star Game. And and here's what he had to say on being the team's lone representative at All-Star Weekend. It's an honor, you know, to be able to, you know, just be out here representing Atlanta. I think, uh, you know, just, you know, being the only one out here, I think it's, you know, just, I guess, a unique unique experience. But I think, you know, to be able to have that, you know, honor to, you know, represent you guys is, you know, definitely, it's definitely cool. Of course, A.J. Griffin, uh, you know, is not the only member of the Hawks to represent the organization at or in the Rising Stars Challenge. Um, Obviously, there's Trey Young, who represented the team in both uh, 2018 as well as 2019. Uh, DeAndre Hunter was named to the roster in 2020, but didn't actually get a chance to play due to COVID. And then John Collins has represented the team as well in both 2017 and 2018. So the Hawks have had a, a really good contingent of players to be selected to the Rising Star um, tournament. But AJ said that he had a couple of teammates reach out to him this weekend, even though he's had members of the team give him advice leading into the weekend. Um, he Here's who he said reached out to him this weekend to give him some words of wisdom. Heard up from Bogey, you know, uh, you know, he showed love and Jante on him, you know, be able to, uh, you know, I, that, that support means everything, you know, just be able to have the, those type of teammates, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a blessing. You know, it continues to showcase kind of how much of a leadership role both Bogdan Bogdanovich and DeJounte Murray play on this team. Of course, John Collins, Trey Young, and DeJounte Murray were named the captains at the beginning of the season. But, you know, DeJounte has really shown himself to be a very strong teammate. Um, throughout this season, given plenty of plenty of advice to a lot of these young players on the roster. But, um, you know, this was an A.J. Griffin experience that he had with his father. Um, but here's what he had to say about what the best part of being at All-Star Weekend was. Meeting new people, you know, I think, you know, as the year goes on, you get to see familiar faces and, you know, get to talk to, you know, sophomores and, you know, all the other rookies, you know, we're pretty close. So, you know, just be able to, you know, you know, have those you know, conversations and, you know, just, you know, who. Yeah. So that's the one thing that I feel like is great about All-Star Weekend is just that there's so many of these players in town. And it's very rare that you have all of these stars, whether that's young stars, older stars, legends. I mean, Dominique Wilkins was in town and he judged the the dunk contest along with Jamal Crawford, Lisa Leslie, Carl Malone, as well as Harold Miner. So you've got all of this knowledge about the game in this one area or one part of the country for this very short amount of time. And so it's a great experience for AJ to not only network, but also just pick the brains of so many different people. And so I hope that he was able to take away as as much as he possibly could. 
But also, since the Rising Stars happened on Friday, you hope that he got a lot of rest, um, especially since, you know, this season is one of the longest seasons of basketball that he's played in his young career. You think about it, Daniel, he he didn't play that that much basketball in a in the span of a year as he has right now. So when you think about some of these rookies and what they have to go through as far as adjusting their body, do you see kind of like, does it seem like AJ is starting to get some heavy legs? Yeah, I think he, I think just based on his numbers and, and his shooting in the, in the last maybe five or 10 games, you can probably tell that he has a little bit of heavy legs heading into the all-star break. And, and you mentioned, I think it's a great point. When you talk to these rookies and, you know, when, I, when I've been around players and talk about the biggest adjustment, it's not only the schedule, but it's the pace of the game. Mm-hmm. College basketball is so slow in the mm-hmm. pace. You're not really moving as much as you normally are in an NBA game. Mm-hmm. And you're playing two games a week tops. But you do have to play back to back to backs in the conference tournament or a tournament. But other than that, you really don't have that experience playing back to backs. And you're playing three or four games a week, yet alone mm-hmm. in college, it's two games a week. So what, eight games a month? They're playing eight yeah. games in a two-week span. Mm-hmm. So I think not only for AJ, but all the other rookies, I think that's the biggest adjustment is 82 games compared to 40 or 50 in, in one NCAA season. And now you're going through 82 plus potentially playing and, and playoffs. And again, the good thing is, is the NBA is built more for the treatment and adjusting mm-hmm. to all that stuff. But it probably takes their bodies a, a, a long time to acclimate. And so for mm-hmm. for AJ, I know probably playing the game was an honor. I'm sure at right after the game, he was like, all right, let me go on a vacation. Let me rest up. But yeah, you can you can tell that based on his numbers that the heavy legs contributed to uh, to him shooting not as effectively as he was earlier on in the season. Yeah, I mean, granted, AJ is on a team that has a lot of players that have that NBA experience. So he may not necessarily be playing... Uh, the most minutes among rookies. I mean, you look at the top 10 and they're all averaging 22 plus minutes per game. But um, for a guy who has dealt with injuries over the course of his career, I mean, he missed his, you know, the majority of his senior season in high school. Um, He didn't play the full season at Duke. You know, he hasn't, he hasn't played a lot over the last couple of years. And so playing 20 Point four minutes per game that's a lot of lot of minutes and then you take into account that he was starting for a number of those games because the Hawks were dealing with injuries I mean when you look at games number 21 through 30 he was averaging 27.3 minutes per game and so that's kind of when you start to see that drop off a little bit in his shooting um percentage wise 32.3% on six or seven attempts per game. And then once those minutes started to drop off a little bit, you see he started to kind of pick back up and he was shooting uh, fewer attempts per game. He was knocking down about 56.7% of his shots from three on three attempts per game when he was averaging about 20 minutes in games like 30, or excuse me, 41 through 50. So I think now especially that we're in the quote-unquote dog days of the season, um, and that's a regular season, you see that even with fewer minutes, he's averaging about 18 minutes per game right now, he's still only making 33% of his shot. So, you know, 
you you got to hope that once he was done with that rising star game, he went and got his legs up and 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 is resting. So, you know, the Hawks, they'll be hitting the gym shortly. Uh, I believe they have their first practice again on Wednesday ahead of their matchup against Cleveland on Friday. So, um, you know, before they went on the break, Nate McMillan did say, though, that the gym will be open and he, you know, guys are supposed to go in and and get some work up just because you don't want to go from zero to 60 on pro- at practice on Wednesday. So, yeah, that's where we are. <laughs> it's time for that final push in the, the last 23 games of this season. And uh, Daniel, do you think the Hawks can maybe get above 500 in these last 23 games? I should is hope that too so. Optimistic. <laughs> no, I, I should hope so. I think the big question is is whether they're in the top six or whether mm. they're in the play-in or not. Because again, if you're at nine or ten in the play-in, it's one and done. Like if you're seven yeah. or eight, you're you can lose a game and still make the play-in. But or the it's playoffs, lo- you mean? Yeah, the playoffs. Sorry, yeah. So it's just a question of avoiding that, and also that's a road game. If you're nine yeah. or ten, if you're ten. Um, nine, yeah. you get the host, and then you have to go on the road to get in. But, I, I mean, I, I don't think this team wants another play-in berth. Uh, I mm-hmm. think you have to finish in the top six. So they would have to finish way over 500, I think, in order to to get in. So yeah. if, if you look at New York's 33 and 27, they're six games over. Mm-hmm. So that means in the final 23, if I'm doing math right, you know, how mm-hmm. many games does that mean they have to win? I don't think I can do it right now, so I'm not going to try <laughs> But that's where you have that's where your goal has to be right now, unless the, the Knicks yeah. go on. That's assuming Knicks play 500 ball from here on yeah. out, which I would think they would. So they have to go on some kind of streak, and you have a, the best opportunity to set the tone against some good teams during this home stretch, where you have three games out of the break at home. And yeah. since you didn't take advantage of your schedule before the All Star break, you need to take advantage of being home for most of the post All Star break. So sure. Cleveland's not a tough, a, an easy opponent. Brooklyn's not, and Washington, none of them are easy, and none of them are going to be easy. As you mentioned, the third hardest schedule left. So um, I think they can, but I don't know if they will. I think there's easily two different answers there because the the capabilities of they potentially, they have the talent to do so, but we've seen the inconsistencies from this team all season long that doesn't allow me yet to say I think they will. Right. Well, we'll be here to discuss that next week. Um, obviously by then they would have played the Cavaliers as well as the Nets. So until then, I'm Lauren Williams, joined by Daniel Salerson, and this is the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop.
The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.